tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. That's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Well, hello. Here we are, careening into the end of the week, just like a, I don't know, a, a parachute jumper headed for the, the ground. The voice might just said, careening should be the word of the day. No, no, I've got a better word of the day than that. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant by that same spirit, that we might have right judgment in all things, and evermore rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, let's open the big book on the coffee table. Uh, this is the book of Joel. We start the book of Joel, and you may well ask who Joel was. Well, you may well keep asking because nobody's quite sure. He was a, a prophet from Judea, and um, there is scholarly argument. Of course, that's mostly what scholars do. Uh, you know, scholarship, uh, cite history, and then state your bias. But uh, I digress. Um, the the we're not sure when he existed. I'll bet. I'll, I'll bet my money on uh, before the destruction of the uh, the temple in 600 BC, a prophet from Judea, and uh, he was, I think, talking about the Assyrian horde that was to descend on Judea after uh, conquering uh, the northern kingdom of Samaria slash Israel. That's kind of who he was, but just kind of interesting and fun fun facts. He's one of the 12 minor prophets. I can't really figure out that either. <laughs> I'm not very informative today, but you have the minor and the major prophets, and there are 12 minor prophets. And uh, let's see here. I got the list right here. Hosea was the 8th century BC. That's the 700s BC. Joel, who probably was in the 700s. Amos in the 700s BC, and Obadiah and Jonah, we don't know when they existed, but Jonah probably existed, um, uh, probably, I say exists, probably lived, he still exists in the, in the bosom of Abraham, as the saying goes, but he lived in, uh, I'll bet you he lived, hmm, probably fairly contemporary with Joel. Uh, then uh, you have Micah, who was also the 700s before Christ. Then Nahum, the 600 before Christ. Uh, 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 then Habakkuk, 
again, 600, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. Haggai and Zechariah were the 500s, and Malachi, the very last one, is after the return from exile. All Those last three are all after the return from exile. So those are the 12 minor prophets. And then, of course, you have Baruch, who is considered one of the five major prophets. I don't know how that figures in, but... Uh, he was a secretary to Jeremiah, so he's generally grouped with Jeremiah. Uh, and, um, well, now you have something you can talk about it. Parties to sound erudite, the five major and the 12 minor prophets. But that's, that's, now let me get back to the reading. All right. The, uh, um, uh, the, the, uh, reading talks about Beelzebul, Beelzebub, uh, sometimes he's called. And, uh, you know, I, I I hesitate to talk about these things, but uh, let's do it. I, the word Baal uh, means master, and it was a word commonly used by Jews. And this was, uh, um, let me let me pull this up. Um, the the uh, you hear Beelzebul and Beelzebub. Uh, it's it's a he was a Philistine god. He was the head the 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 chief god of Ekron, and uh, he was thought of as a major demon. And I think this is an interesting thing. Um, uh, Bel Zibub is uh, um, a, a demon. We we think it was a demon, and Jesus clearly thought of him as a demon. But he was the god of a Philistine city. The gods of the world, the Christian early Christians believed, and and apparently the Jews. Uh, believed that this was uh, that they they were real. These gods of the nations were real, but they were demonic. So um, it generally uh, translated uh, as Lord of the Flies, Baal Zebub. But this is uh, Baal Zebul, uh, which uh, probably was uh, uh, preceded the name Baal Zebub. Uh, the Lord Zebul means Lord of the of the of the dwelling. It could be the heavenly dwelling, a temple, the temple in Ekron. And it was cor- corrupted to Baal-Zebul uh, as a derogatory pun, quite possibly. So Baal-Zebul and Baal-Zebub are both the same thing, I just in case you wanted to know it. But it was a local Canaanite god who was, in fact, a demon. All right, uh, moving along. Uh, what's what's going on here? All right, Cale Clark has been talked about this a few days ago, and I think did a much better job than, than I'm going to do, but I'll give it a shot. Uh, the um, the uh, um, this idea of of by the power of Belzebul, prince of demons, he drives out demons. This was a big demon, and again, I've shared this with you many times. But exorcism was big business at the time of Christ. We see in in the Acts of the Apostles, the sons of Sceva, uh, uh, a, a, a Jewish high priest, uh, um, they traveled about. Uh, as exorcists, and they tried to cast out a demon in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, and the demonic uh, spirit in the possessed man turned on them and said, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know, and Jesus, I acknowledge, but who are you? And he turned and he beat them, and they fled, the scripture says, naked and bleeding. So, um, you know, don't do this at home, (laughs) but but it was big business among the Greeks, among the Romans, among the Jews. Because every bad thing that ever happened was caused by a demon. They believed that 10,000 demons could inhabit a person. It was, you know, a fantastic number of demons. And what they believed was that if you could um, 
if you could quote the name of a of a of a, a bigger demon than the one infesting your patient, that the little demon would get scared and go away. It's nonsense, uh, but that was what they did. So they would they would get long lists of names uh, and nonsense words, just in case one of them was the name of a demon of some of some note. And when the Bible says, "Do not think by a multiplication of words you will be heard," that's what. I think the scriptures are referring to not things like litanies or the rosary, but this kind of uh, magical approach to religion that if you say the prayer in this specific way, but add these three prayers and then you'll get what you want for sure. That's superstition. And that's what they did. They would make these long lists of demon names just in case they might stumble on one. It was a multiplication of words. Don't do that. Well, what's Jesus saying? This whole thing is ridiculous that every king divided against itself will be laid waste. Your theory of, 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 of exorcism is nuts. That if you, if you can scare a little demon away with a bigger demon, well, then, then the demons are not that powerful because Satan's divided against himself. So it doesn't work that way. He's saying it doesn't work that way. If I drive out demons by Belzebul, by whom your own people drive them out, therefore they'll be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. What is the finger of God? Ooh, the finger of God wrote, uh, let me, let me look this up just to make sure I'm not making this up. But the finger of God wrote the, the law. We read that it was the finger of God that, uh, carved the, the, uh, uh, um, uh, the commandments into the stone. And I think that's fascinating. We we read it in Exodus eight sixteen twenty. Uh, the 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 Egyptians who were famous for their demons. I mean, there was a saying in the ancient world that ten parts of of witchcraft were poured out on the on the world, and nine parts went to Egypt. So these Egyptian magicians who Pharaoh has trying to one up Moses say, no, this is the finger of God. And then Deuteronomy nine ten, the finger of God. Uh, uh, wrote the Ten Commandments. This is an important thing to understand, that that Jesus is saying that uh, the Egyptian magicians, with all of their voodoo magic and witchcraft, acknowledged that what Moses did was by the finger of God. And that's what I'm doing. I'm doing what Moses did. This isn't some demon uh, uh, that I'm taking advantage of to scare another demon. That's nonsense. It doesn't work that way. What I'm doing is what Moses did in the court of Pharaoh. In other words, he's the new Moses. And this idea that the finger of God wrote the law, he is going to write the new covenant. Uh, this is real important. Uh, for for um, I remember having a discussion with Rabbi Lefkowitz about uh, um, the Talmud saying that all the sacrifices of the law would pass away except for the Thanksgiving sacrifice, that is the Eucharistic sacrifice, would pass away. And he said, well, yes, but the Messiah is going to have to point out in Torah where it says that. So Jesus is pointing it out in Torah where it says it's the finger of God <laughs> that, that wrote the commandments and the finger of God that defeated the magicians of Egypt. And I'm defeating demons, therefore I'm the new Moses. <laughs> It's a little convoluted, a little Talmudic, but eh, I think it works. So uh, this is a very important idea that 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 this this failed uh, uh, demonic uh, form of exorcism isn't what Jesus is doing. 
If it is by the finger of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The finger of God is part of God. The kingdom of God is God's royal nature, as I'm always telling you. It isn't It isn't uh, just a place or political system. Then he goes on to something that Pentecostals have been arguing about forever, and evangelicals, when the strong man fully armed guards his palace, his possessions are safe. But when stronger attacks and overcomes him, he takes away the armor on which he relied and distributes the spoil. Well, a strong man guarding his palace... I think that refers to the devil. This would be my bid for the interpretation of that. Uh, one stronger is this finger of God, who Jesus is. Uh, um, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. The very, the very substance of the kingdom of evil is that it is scattered. Uh, that if you can scare one demon with another demon's name, well, then don't worry so much about it. But the real strength comes from from Christ. Then he goes on, when an unclean spirit goes out of someone, uh, roams through uh, the region searching for rest, uh, upon returning finds the, the house swept clean and put in order, then it goes back and brings seven other spirits, more wicked than itself, and move in and dwell there. The last condition of that man is worse than the first. You know, uh, back in the good old prayer group days, we took this verse very seriously, that you you can't empty something and not fill it. In other words, uh, when, well, I'll just tell you what we did. When we would pray for someone for deliverance, we would then pray that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Because <laughs> nature abhors a vacuum, but the devil loves one. The devil loves emptiness. I remember in uh, C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters, uh, he, screw, uh, C.S. Lewis has the devil saying to screw tape, oh, screw tape, the enemy, meaning Christ, says, without me, nothing is powerful. And believe me, <laughs> believe me, uh, Wormwood. Uh, nothing is very powerful. Think about that for a minute. Nothing is very powerful. Uh, the devil's aim is to get you to watch a sitcom that you've seen five times before. The devil's aim is to get you to reread a book that you've read 20 times before and didn't enjoy the first time, to get you to stare into the, the cold embers of a dying fire, to get you to uh, do nothing. You see, you have a precious gift in this world. You have time. Uh, I've heard it said that this is the only time in your life when you're going to have time. <laughs> well, the devil would like you to waste it. Don't waste time. Do good things. A good thing is to watch a funny movie with your kids. A good thing is to take a walk in the park with with your wife. A, a good thing is to, is to um, uh, uh, write a letter to an old friend. <laughs> Uh, those are those are not wastes of time. To sit staring at a television that uh, is uninteresting to begin with, not a bad thing to watch television, but the nothing part of it, or to, to, to sit on the web and just click on things and find a wormhole and get lost, nothing is very powerful. Nature abhors a vacuum because nature obeys God. Nature abhors a vacuum. Nature abhors an empty spot. The devil loves an empty spot. So, with that thought, I think, speaking of empty spots, we should go to mass hysteria. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria! Wake up, my people. Wake up. Give a shout. Wake up, my people. Wake up, give a shout. You know what life's about. Good advice. Good advice. Wake up, give a shout. 
often I have been suddenly woken up and shouted. <laughs> All right. And for this, we gave up Gregorian chant. All right. Uh, yesterday, I, I was talking about, I was sort of edging through the parts of the Mass, edging into the offertory, uh, where we bring up bread and wine. Um, it's, it's kind of more complicated than that, but I will go through it. I wanted to talk about bread. Uh, I, I actually went to masses and seminary on coffee tables where a priest wearing a stole um, had to say all the words of consecration together as we tried to consecrate bagels and Mogan David. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. It was it's 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 a, it's, a, it's just blasphemous. But I mean, to think that we tried to you know. It, it, it wasn't valid matter. Well, what's this business about valid matter? Is God that picky? Have you met the Lord? <laughs> the Lord, I tell you constantly, the Lord has this problem. He thinks he's God. He's merciful to the sinner, but, uh, you know, the sinner can repent, but stupid lasts forever, as the saying goes. Uh, that, that if I make a God of myself, if I make a rule book of myself, I'm really very foolish, very stupid person. And you see, this is a universal church. This is essential to the sacramental order that we are universal. We are throughout the whole world in space and in time. Really important. We are, we are part of something in space and in time. If I am not related to what went on in, uh, um, 874 AD, <laughs> maybe March, uh, then I'm not in the universal church. You know, that's why that song, Sing a New Church into Being. The new church cannot be Catholic. The church is ever new and ever old. Um, Jesus said that the good steward is able to take the, both the old and the new out of the warehouse. One shouldn't be opposed to the new, nor should one be opposed to the old. We're universal. We have a debt to people who've gone before us, and we have an obligation to people who will come after us. So we use bread and wine. That's it. And not kind of weird things that will be called wine in the future, but wine as it has always been known, something made from grapes. And bread made from wheat. Well, really, I mentioned this yesterday. Shouldn't the wheat be... Uh, um, uh, shouldn't shouldn't we use the grain indigenous to people? They don't have wheat in China. They most certainly do have wheat in China. Uh, but, uh, well, rice is probably more commonly eaten on the face of the globe than than wheat. And in Africa, they use sorghum. Shouldn't shouldn't Ethiopia and the Sudan and, and uh, places like that, shouldn't they consecrate sorghum? No, they didn't. Well, it, it was the food of the people. They shouldn't. Wheat was not the food of the people in Israel. Barley was. Look at the scriptures. He, he is a boy here with a couple barley loaves. Barley was the bread of the poor. The bread of the temple was wheat. We brought the best to the Lord. And thus, wheat ties us back to the temple in Jerusalem, ties us back to the sacrifices in the desert, ties us back to... to when Israel were, were slaves in Egypt. We use bread and we use wine to unite ourselves with people all throughout the world by offering the best to the Lord and by people all throughout history who have from time immemorial offered bread and wine. Melchizedek the, the priest offered bread and wine. Understand 
that to be Catholic is not simply to be related to people around the globe. It is to be related to people around the globe and throughout history. We're going to take a break. I'll calm down. We'll read some letters. I got some great ones. Whole stack of them. 888-914-9149. We will open the phones at 888-914-9149. We will be back. God. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. I'm a mansion over in glory in the light of glory and my name is on the door on the door in heaven and someday I'll move to it then be happy evermore well there you go be happy evermore you gotta love this music it, it's great it's great also speaking of things you love well who doesn't love Christmas <laughs> I've heard a, a saying, oh, this is terrible. I'm going to whine again. Stop me before I fetch again. They say the priesthood is a wonderful life if you don't mind working weekends and hating Christmas. Nonsense. I love Christmas. But it is going to be interesting. My first retired Christmas. Yeah, Christmas is kind of arduous. You know, you got 18 masses and uh, 20 houses you got to stop by. And uh, it's kind of wearing. But uh, again, I'm complaining about people being nice to me. Oh, well, tough life. All right. Let's go to letters. All right. I wanted to ask you, this is from Valerie in Sacramento. Uh, if you wouldn't mind sharing your thoughts about the fifth joyful mystery of the rosary, finding Jesus in the temple. I have a hard time understanding this mystery. Why does Jesus answer Mary in such a seemingly negative way when she asks him why he let them go through such sorrow to find them? Also, why is this considered a joyful mystery when it seems a story full of anxiety and then Jesus' negative remarks? It doesn't seem joyful to me, but maybe I'm missing something. What is your take on this mystery? Valerie, the uh, I don't know if you ever had the, the horrible experience of, of losing a kid. Uh, I remember my godson decided to play hide-and-seek in a big department store, hiding in all the coats mom and dad were frantic when it finally showed up and the joy that i mean it, it it's it was just exhilarating that this kid was found um all the more exhilarating for the anxiety so in that sense it could be thought of as joyful but i think you have a point jesus seems a little well disrespectful he says didn't you know i had to be in my father's house i think I think the story is very important because those people who say, well, Jesus didn't really know he was God, the Son of God, to the degree that a human being can know who his father is, in his perfect humanity, Jesus always knew who his true father was. They say that a child in, in, in its mother's womb can recognize its father's voice if the father, you know, that, that's become kind of trendy to talk to the child in the womb, hello, little baby, and that when that child is delivered and he hears his father's uh, voice in the delivery room, he just pays attention. So you can know, apparently you could know your father from the womb. So to the degree that a, a human being in a perfect human nature, remember Jesus had a fully human nature, but it was the nature of Adam before the fall in his full human nature. He always knew his father was. And one wonders if Mary and Joseph weren't forgetting. Did all that really happen? You know, uh, uh, 
the scripture says Mary treasured these things in her heart. But you know, with the passage of time, we forget sometimes the great things the Lord has done. I know I do. Well, Jesus reminded them. And so even in that sense, it was joyful. Jesus did this, I think, out of love for Joseph and Mary to remind them this is just my theory. Again, take it with many grains of salt, but to remind them who he and who he was, who they knew he was, and uh, to remind the Blessed Mother of the promise made at his birth and at his presentation that a sword would pierce her heart, and she joyfully accepted that that burden, as I always say, the burden of the Immaculate Conception. So that's just some thoughts on it. That Jesus wasn't being flippant. He was he was obeying his heavenly Father, and uh, he didn't cause them pain and suffering. He obeyed his Father and reminded them who he was. All right, that's just those are just my thoughts on it. Now, um, a good grief! Oh dear, where was I? Okay, um, this is uh, this is a person who wants to be anonymous. I want to let you know. Oh, I think I talked about this. Um, uh, this is a priest. Uh, she shares about a priest who who does not give the little blessing at communion. Uh, um, there used to be an explanation for this practice in the handouts that, that we get with the hymns. The explanation suggested that those not receiving communion could pray spiritual communion prayer found in the pew. Sometimes we have visitors who don't know about this practice walk away without a blessing and with a hurt look. The children also walk away with hurt feelings. Um, uh, Father has explained the appropriate time for a personal blessing is after Mass. Uh, it has increased my reverence for the Blessed Sacrament. I'm in the process of getting my marriage convalidated and I'm unable to receive communion at this time. I watch others receive and offer my longing for, for my intentions, uh, looking forward to the day when I may receive communion again. So thank you, anonymous person. Um, yeah, uh, if, if Father, if there are any priests listening... Uh, uh, explain to people that if your children want a special blessing, uh, have them um, see me in the vestibule. Uh, but um, uh, Holy Communion, again, I, I say this to the point of being very tedious, but you, when you go to receive the Eucharist, what you're saying is, as he laid his body, blood, soul, and divinity on this altar for my sake and the salvation of the world, I will lay my... Uh, uh, humanity, my body, soul, uh, <laughs> and humanity on this uh, 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 altar with him for the salvation of the world uh, and, and for the, the, the renewal of the church. You know, I, I'm, that's, what I, that's what you go to Mass for. You don't go to Mass to get something. You go to Mass to give something. And as we raise children in this attitude that, uh, well, Mass is all about getting something. You get the bread. You get the wine. Ain't no bread and wine there. There's flesh and blood. And you're signing an oath to the death. Every time you receive the Holy Eucharist, you're signing an oath to the death. Is that and mommy? I want I want the cookie, kid. Ain't a cookie. It's the sacrifice of your life. You really want to give up your life? Um, tell them. And if worse comes worse, say it's kind of like medicine. You can take it when you're older, but not now. When you're older and you need it. That that uh, I've heard people say that's horrible to say that. Well, 
<laughs> read the scriptures. Uh, the Eucharist is poisonous to those who do not receive it worthily, worthily, St. Paul says. And to encourage this attitude of gimme in children, I think, is very unfortunate and counter-Eucharistic. But that's just me, an old curmudgeon. Okay, let's see. I'm looking at the time here. One more. I think I dealt with this. Um, I, I don't know. This is from Dan. Um, and he was wondering if, well, if an uncircumcised man converts to Judaism, uh, must he undergo that particular operation <laughs> if he has already had it? Because in the West it is very common uh, for medical reasons. And yes, there has to be the shedding of blood. This is a very important thing that it amounts... Uh, uh, to a pinprick, but there must be the shedding of, of blood to enter the covenant. And I think this is a powerful thing, too, because in the Eucharist, Jesus says, this is the blood of the new covenant. Remember in the psalm, the Lord summons those people who made a uh, covenant with him by sacrifice, and the word is blood sacrifice. Blood is necessary for a covenant, and the word for covenant in Hebrew is berith which if Jesus said those words at the Passover in Hebrew or Aramaic, he would have called it a berith. The modern Yiddish pronunciation of berith is bris, <laughs> which usually involves a caterer, a big party. Uh, but it is about the shedding of blood to make a covenant. Why the shedding of blood? Again, because it is life for life. That's why the blood is sacred. The life is in the blood. And when you shed blood in a sacrifice, what you're doing is you're saying, this is unto death. It is a covenant unto death. This is, our religion is not supposed to be an easy thing. And we so want to make it easy for people. Well, let's go to a break and I'll share a word of the day and then you can give me some easy phone calls. 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. Ooh, jazz. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. I love this song, and we should do it. Let that light shine. I always tell you, Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. We were going to be the bait. Be the best little worm that you can be uh, until... Uh, uh, the Lord uh, returns. All right, let's go to the word of the day. Well, this is not a, a real, you know, this is not an earth shaker word. But I, I, I noticed in, in the text uh, where it says um, an unclean spirit. You know, that what's an unclean spirit? I think that's that's uh, an important thing to to understand. Oh, by the way, 888-914-9149. Do call in and ask me questions. 888-914-9149. I never call. What are you going to do? But you call 888-914-9149. So an unclean spirit. What is an unclean spirit? This is very interesting. Remember, this is a Jewish person talking about, um, uh, um, um, 
uncleanness. It's fascinating. Uh, the biblical sense of uncleanness has nothing, nothing, N-O-T-H-I-N-G, nada, to do with hygienic cleanness. You know, I, 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 people say, well, the, the pig is really not that clean an animal. Have you ever been in a hen house? Chickens are, they're, they're disgusting. You know, this isn't hygienic. People will endlessly make this point that clean and unclean. No, it means impure. Akathartos means unmixed. The word kathairo cleans, it really means free from wrong mixture, unmixed. It would be not pure gold, it would be clean gold, that kind of thing. And you see, when Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, what he's saying is people who do not have mixed motives, they're focused on the kingdom of God. You know, and, and it does apply, I think, to chastity, because nothing will distract you from the Lord more than unchastity. It is, by definition, an uh, adulteration. But un I, clean means something that is, is unmixed. It is purely belonging to the Lord. So what kind of spirit comes into a person? An unclean spirit. And we live unclean lives. You know, we go to church on Sunday and maybe pray twice a day if we're lucky, if God's lucky, we think. And... But the rest of the time, we're dabbling in this in this world of mixed motives. We don't have our our mind set on Jesus, as the old gospel song says. So, when you think of clean and unclean, don't think uh, vacuuming. Think fixed on the Lord and and wanting to do His will above all other things. Uh, that is what it means to be truly kosher. So, and the 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 laws of kashrut, kosher law, in the Bible were to keep the the Israelites from mixing in with people who worshipped demons and not gods. And they were always uh, trying to reconcile the religion of the Canaanites with their own religion. And God has nothing to do with demons. And that applies as strongly now as it did then. All right, let's go to phone calls. Who have we got? Who have we got? Alan from Green Bay. What can I do for you? Hello, Father Simon. I have a question. Hello, can hello. Satan, can Satan control or influence your dreams? <sighs> you know, that's a tough question. I would say... Uh, I would say yes. I would say yes. Um, I, I don't know. That, you see, he doesn't have free reign. you you got to remember the, the scripture text that uh, uh, greater is he that is in you that is he that is in the world. So when you say yes, I think that we don't even know what dreams are. Uh, it's fascinating. The science of sleep. Nobody's quite sure what sleep is. Uh, and well, it's, you're less, you're not less conscious when you sleep. In fact, is some, some sleep theoreticians say you're more focused, uh, when you sleep, you don't see all the distractions. And I would say uh, with some hesitation, I would say, yes, I, I, I have a friend who's an exorcist. I will ask him, uh, but 
at this point, I would say yes, but he cannot, he cannot force us. You know, we don't have full control of our will and our sleep, so he cannot force us to sin in our sleep. So does that help a little? That helps a little. Thank you. Yeah, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask my friend, uh, the exorcist, uh, when, when I next communicate with him, and I'll, I'll mention that, uh, maybe I'm sure by Monday I will have heard from him. So, uh, um, the yeah so there that's as good as i can do for you but i would say yes the devil can, can come to we we read about that in the book of, of tobit for instance uh uh, uh that that um the demons snatched away people in their sleep I, I don't think we have to worry about that uh since calvary but yeah it's it's a good thing to be aware of all right thanks for calling and i'll do my best to find a more definitive answer for you okay who we got next Angelina from Laguna Hills, California. Are you with us? Yes. Good. What can I do for you? Hello. So I was reading today's uh, scripture where it said that whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not Mm -hmm. gather with me scatters. But then I remember Mm -hmm. Luke 9.49 where Jesus says, do not prevent me prevent him for whoever is not against you is for you. Yes. Well, he's kind of saying the same thing two different ways. He's saying whoever is not against you is for you. And whoever is, well, well let, let me look at the exact text of today. Uh, okay. Uh, oh, that's the first reading. Uh, the second reading, he says, um, uh, he doesn't, whoever is, is not with me is against me. Let me. I, I think. I think you have to understand it in kind of a a Jewish kind of way. That that I've talked about Jewish poetry. It it kind of does these double couplets. Um, uh, that you know, uh, in pastures green he leads me by re- by restful waters he, he leads me in in pastures green he feeds me. Uh, with your rock and with your rod and your staff, you give me comfort. That they're the, they love to do things in kind of matching pairs, and so I think that when Jesus says uh, uh, he was uh, not with me, it's against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. I think you got to remember to look at that second thing, and I'm of course tapping away just to see what the text is in Greek. Uh, let me see. This is ooh. That's the Matthew. I don't want Matthew. I want Luke. Luke. What word does Luke use here? Come on, computer. All right. Let's see here. Uh, yes, go to Pidzi. Uh, who, who is... Uh, now, this is interesting. This is interesting. It says, the one not... Synagon. That's the word that... That that this it's similar to the word synagogue. A synagogue is a gathering place. He who has not gathered with me scatters. I think that's a very interesting thing. Uh, it means to dissipate, uh, um, to scatter abroad, to disperse. Uh, the the verb scatter here, scorpizo. So what Jesus is saying, I think he's saying something to the 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 disciples uh, um, that. That um, uh, you know, you got to stick together. The devil is is a, is is a divider. And I think these are good words for it. Now, he's saying in the in in the other text, he's saying whoever is not against me is for me. That that 
if they aren't if they aren't opposing, if they're not scattering, then we're good. Uh, don't fight them. But on the other hand, you guys stick together. That that don't don't dissipate your strength. Uh, um, you gotta you gotta be where I am. So they're not quite opposite. I don't know if that helps at all. Okay. Um, well, I was also wondering. With our <laughs> I've been a little confusing. Friends. Go on. Yeah. Say that um, again. I, I you know, you. I hear testimonies about them doing exorcisms, mm-hmm. but obviously it's not sure. within the Catholic Church. So I was wondering if Luke no, nine forty nine. No. It was. Yeah, uh, you know that the, there are different degrees of of deliverance in the Catholic Church, and exorcism is a very specific thing for Catholics, and it very much involves authority. Uh, the devil is a really good lawyer. No offense to lawyers. Remember, the Holy Spirit calls himself a lawyer for the defense, also, and Jesus. So there, I've said nice things about lawyers, but the devil is a really good theologian and a really good lawyer, and he is allowed to ask us, where is our authority to do this? And every Christian has a certain authority to come against the devil. I mean, every Christian can pray the prayer to St. Michael. Um, uh, and, and you know, that, that, that I have met some very, very serious and sincere Protestants who are involved in deliverance ministries, and that's very real. And we don't... Uh, we don't kind of diminish it, but a Catholic exorcism has all of the the um, the authority of the Church behind it, and and it's it's a powerful thing because there are, as Jesus said, different qualities of spirits. So yeah, I think that we should respect what they do if they're doing it uh, sincerely and honestly and in a biblical way. Yeah, I. I I've never said, stop doing that. You're not Catholic. You can't cast out demons. You know, it's the Lord who does the casting out of the demons. The power of Christ that compels them, as they say. So, yeah, I would respect them. Does that help a little? Yes. So it's kind of giving validity yeah, you know, to that, Protestants having the yeah, Lord with them, it, too, I guess. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. We're, we're united. We're members of the same church insofar as we're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's to be respected. Now, there are serious differences, and, and those differences are real. But on the other hand, when, when someone comes up to me and says, well, you know, you Catholics, you worship Mary, I say, look, I'm not going to change your mind. You're not going to change my mind. Do you love Jesus? Of course I love Jesus. Well, I love Jesus, too, and I don't think you can get more saved than that. And that usually shuts them up, and we become friends. You know, that, that I think that we need to honestly emphasize, honestly emphasize the similarities while admitting the differences. I think that this, our view of the communion of saints and prayers to and with the saints, I think they're valid. No, that's idolatry. Maybe you're right. Maybe I'm right. We'll see. Well, once saved, always saved. When someone comes up to me and says, you know, once you're saved, you're, you, 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 you can't lose your salvation. Well, the first person to say that was, was John Calvin. I think, uh, I, I can't think of anyone who says it before him in history. And I say to them, you know, if you're right, I hope you're right about that. I hope that once you're saved, you can't lose your salvation. I hope you're right. Because you see, if you're right, that means every Catholic is going to heaven. 
because they all say, when they say the rosary, they constantly say, oh my Jesus, forgive us our sins, uh, five times the rosary at least. Uh, so yeah, I hope you're right. But if you're wrong and you're saying that all you have to do is say, Jesus saved me and you're saved and you're going to heaven, if you're wrong, that means untold millions of people are in hell who thought they were saved. So I'm hoping that you as an evangelical Protestant are right. That unglues them when I say that. <laughs> but they may be right. I don't think they are. But I love Jesus and you love Jesus. So we have a lot in common. Does that help a little more? Yes. Thank you. Good. God bless you. And and uh, say the prayer to St. Michael a lot. <laughs> you know, whenever I pass by something that is clearly demonic, like a... Like a porno store or or something, I always say, in Jesus' name, I rebuke you, Satan. <laughs> I think every Christian can do that. So enjoy rebuking Satan. It makes him crazy. All right, thanks so much for calling in. Speaking of crazy, who we got now? I mean, that's me. Who we got now to your voice in my head? Juan from Texas, are you with us, Juanito? What can I do for you? Juan? Oh, I have a, right. uh, good afternoon. We're going to go to Sue from Chicago. Are you with us, Sue? Uh, oh, Juan's back. Hello, Juan. Are you yes. with us? Yes, yes. I'm good. What What can I do for you? Good. Yes, what I'm can I do for you? I'm struggling with something. I'm struggling with something spiritually and and out here in the in the working force world. Uh, I, mm -hmm. I I want to excel. I want to excel in my work, but I'm also striving for God, and I feel like mm -hmm. if I if I really concentrate at my work and strive for it and work really hard to, to get moved up, uh, I'm, I'm paying less attention to God. And I feel guilty if I put too much work, my, my mind on work. So I just, I just need some well, spiritual guidance to how, how to balance it. Sure. I, you know, work is from the Lord. I would, I would, you know, a wonderful patron saint for this is St. Joseph. He is the patron saint of workers. And I would say, St. Joseph, pray for me uh, a lot. I, you know, we, I think people don't have enough devotion to St. Joseph, especially people who work for a living. Um, what I would do is, is uh, just honestly say to the Lord, Lord, you let me know what you want from me. And work and prayer are not contradictory. You can pray as you work. Uh, um, and, you know, you never would do anything immoral at work or, or cheat or steal or lie, even if your company wants you to. That's not what you would do. Uh, and, and uh, um, you know, I, I don't think they necessarily are contradictory. Just make sure that you're, you're uh, spending time in, in prayer, especially your morning and evening prayers, and... Uh, your lunch break, if you get a lunch break, uh, um, you know, say the rosary, read the Bible, uh, and then make sure you you go to Mass least Sunday and any other time you can, and, you know, do what you can do. The Lord knows that, you know, you need to provide for the people you love, and, and work is honorable, work is noble. St. Paul says, if they will not work, they should not eat. Uh, and believe me, I like to eat. So, yeah, I don't think it's contradictory. And, and I, I think that, uh, you know, you can sanctify work. Uh, St. Jose, uh, Jose Maria Escriba, uh, the founder of Opus Dei, was all about consecrating work uh, and life in the world. So maybe you want to read some of St. Jose Maria. He's really good. St. Jose Maria Escriba. Uh, really good stuff on, on work. I hope that helps a little, does it? Yes, yes. Thank you. God bless you. And work is work is honorable, provided it's honorable work. So uh, I'll be praying for you, Juanito. God bless. 
Who have we got now? Let's try one more phone call. Just have a minute. Ah, Sue from Chicago. I don't want to. I don't want to let you go. What can I do for you, Sue? Yes, Father. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, a friend of mine and I were talking about receiving the Eucharist in the hand versus the tongue, mm-hmm. and she said, "Well, you have to receive yeah. it in the hand because Jesus said, take and eat, take the Eucharist, not receive.'" So I thought that's totally crazy, and she believes that. What do I tell what, her? Jesus said, "What? What did Jesus say?" He said, "He and he said, take and eat. This is my body. Take and eat. Yes." Yes, one can take with one's tongue. <laughs> um, that is totally crazy. You know that that uh, the church has spoken definitively. We have both the right and the and the uh, ability to receive in our hands or on the tongue. Now, the COVID situation may change that restriction, but um, you know, one can take. Have you ever seen uh, directions on a on a uh, a drug or something? Take by take three times a day by mouth. One can take with one's mouth, so I, I, I wouldn't uh, uh, be too fundamentalistic about uh, Jesus saying take and eat. <laughs> so, speaking of 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 communion, <laughs> Drew's coming up, and that's uh, a wonderful communion of people saying the divine, uh, the uh, divine mercy devotion. So don't go anywhere. Stay in communion. Gather together. It's from the Lord. <laughs> 